0: Possessed of every weapon of stealth and evil, vampires were formidably skilled at changing shape. They did not, as sometimes believed, change into bats. That metamorphosis was a literary invention added to the vampire tales after the discovery of new world bats that fed on blood. But to move undetected from place to place, vampires could dissolve into dust or mist, sail through the air as owls, or run along the ground as wolves or cats. The vampires of Japan particularly favored the last transformation. These night roamers, said to frequent the courts of early Japanese princes and rulers, presented the relatively innocent appearance of court concubines at most times and, in this guise, drained the lifeblood from their lovers. If startled or pursued, however, they dwindled in size, dropped their kimonos, and emerged from the silken folds as large swift cats marked as vampires by the fact that they had two tails from the enchanted Enchanted World. Enchanted world All you lovers of myth out there in the autumnal hinterlands is Halloween season. It's Rock and Max, and boy do we have a fun show for y'all on this here episode of Nightmares and Daydreams. Welcome, gang. On this episode, Rock and I are going to discuss
1: vampires. vampires. As we hang out here in the season of scares, we figured, hey, we might as well finally tackle the episode we've gotten
0: the most requests for—them bloodsuckers from days of yore. Not just in the days of yore, Maxie. There are plenty of modern-day vampire sightings, which we will get into as well.
1: Get ready, gang. As Rock is want to say, y'all, grab your pumpkin spice lagers and hang on, because we're about to delve into the ancient myths of the undead. Mm-mm-mm. The undead
0: can be so unkind. According to the lore, yeah, they sure can. And I love that first story, The Cats with Two Tails. Two-tailed cats are vampires, y'all. They're out there. Watch for them.
1: And Japanese vampires. I know. That's pretty cool. Hanging around in the courts of Japanese emperors. Eh, Some creepy stuff, actually.
0: Dude, while not every culture has vampires or vampiric creatures, many do. And Asian vampires are no joke, gang.
1: Well, let's get into it.
0: We will, we will. But first, Max, and y'all out there in the hinterlands, just a quick question. Like, What is it about vampires? I mean, what's up with all the romanticism and the obsession, like the books, movies, video games, cosplay, the whole lifestyle thing that, you know, a lot of people adopt. Like, what's so cool about it? I blame Twilight.
1: Man, so sexy. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Rock, you know our listeners really want to hear your take on Twilight. We need a breakdown. Yeah. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) I, for one, welcome our sexy new sparkling vampire
0: overlords. No, sir. I don't like it. Well, you don't like Meyer's New style vampires, listen y'all, man, teach their own, right? I'm not a fan, but that said, dude, I love watching those movies with my wife and my brother in law because they love them, <laughs> and they've read the book, so you know, hey, they're all into the lore she's created, and they enjoy the entertainment aspect, so man, I'm down with that, you know, but as far as you know the whole Twilight thing, it's just not my cup of coffee, not my thing, y'all.
1: well, I understand your take on them. You call them
0: superheroes. Yeah, I mean, they each have unique abilities, not just immortal bloodsuckers. Very Marvel-esque, dare I say.
1: Okay, so going back to your question, what is it about
0: vampires? I mean, never dying is pretty alluring. Agreed, man, but if I had to choose a way of being at immortal, I'd choose the Highlander route. Immortals sword fighting for the prize? There can be only one. Yes, please. I don't know, man. People always coming after
1: your head. Hmm. Is it the blood drinking that makes you squeamish? Or the turning into
0: a vampire. All right, man. Well, this is a different tangent now, right? Like, what type of vampire are we talking about here, guys? That's a good point. Are we talking sexy time, Lestat, Silky Stackhouse style? Or are we talking Blade 3, The Strain, Monstrous Nosferatu style? All hunched over, pasty, pointy ears, bald, wearing black clothing all the time? Though, you know, I do wear a lot of black clothing, but, you know.
1: Yeah, True Blood was fun for a while there. It was. I guess, you know, I could... I could see choosing the True Blood type vampire, super fast, strong, sexy. Heck yeah, why not?
0: You know, the only issue with those vamps is that they pop like a water balloon filled with blood. If they're, saved. it's like <laughs> I choose to be. You want a clean? Exactly, <laughs> man. Personally, I choose to be like Blade, the Daywalker. Okay, those are definitely fun movies. Wesley oh, yeah. Snipes was great as Blade. Oh yeah, he was. You know, and of course, they're doing another remake. What aren't they remaking these days? So, Blade is a dampier, which, according to the lore, is a half-vampire. Got all the strengths, none of the weaknesses. (laughs) Is that your Wesley smith impression? (laughs) I know it's so
1: bad. Your connery is way better. Personally, you're the man now, dog. (laughs) I think it's the immortal aspect of the legends that are so alluring. Yep. Plus, I mean... Look at all the amazing clothes they get to wear. Yep. Fancy top hats, anyone? Mm-mm. Giant estates in the countryside. I mean, to be an immortal landowner, that would be pretty sweet.
0: Well, you know, those are more of the modern day interpretations of the legends, Maxie. Eastern Europe is the birthplace of vampires and the vampire legends from way back in the day. There's nothing too sexy about those tales, everybody. Folks took extreme action to thwart any potential vampires in their midst back then. You got a story? I don't, but I know you do. (laughs) I do.
1: Brutal means were used to put an end to the ravages of vampires. The graves of suspect corpses were opened to see if decay had done its natural work. If instead, the bodies were fresh and full of blood, people knew they housed a vampire spirit. Evidence from old burials reveal the sort of action fearful folk took then. To rob the corpses of the power to walk, the leg tendons might be cut. Sometimes the heads were severed and placed between the thighs. Or vampires might be pinned to the ground by driving stakes of hawthorn or ash through the hearts or skulls. A nail of iron, always proof against evil, was better if used to stake a vampire. It was said that torrents of blood from such corpses rose like fountains in the air from the enchanted world.
0: Damn, I told you man, kinda gnarly. Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do, am I right? Listen, when it comes to battling the powers of darkness, hell yeah, you're right.
1: So, while the term vampire might have originated in Eastern Europe, The whole idea of blood-sucking evil spirits dates way further back than that. Some scholars posit that the very first legends of these sorts of spirits date back millennia, even back as far as like ancient Persia.
0: Which is present-day Iran.
1: Yes. And of course, ancient cultures like the Greeks, Romans, other Mesopotamian cultures, they all had vampire-like spirits embedded in their cultures as well. Wow. So yeah. Vamps have been around
0: for ages, literally. I mean, gang, even the Bible has some passages that lets us know that blood-drinking ain't okay. For instance, in Leviticus 17, 12, Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. In Deuteronomy twelve twenty three, it says,
1: Only be sure that you eat not the blood. For the blood is the life And thou mayest not eat the life with the flesh And vampires love eating the life, gang Show is sad Mm -hmm. That's how they get their life Mm -hmm. They are indeed unholy So we opened up with a tale of Japanese vampires Changing into cats with two tails Mm -hmm. Right? Are there any other Asian vampires you come across?
0: Yeah, man uh, The hopping vampire out of Chinese culture Pretty cool, gang Does it actually hop? Hence the name. Yes, it does, my friend. So hopping vampires are also called Shi, which translates into stiff corpse. And according to the lore, the origin of this legend stems from loved ones dying, and their relatives couldn't afford to travel to the place where the person died. So they hired a Taoist priest to reanimate the corpse so it could travel back to its home. And a lot of the times this is done with the sealing spell, which was usually a piece of paper placed on the person's head the dead person, obviously.
1: Okay, so the junk she made its way home by hopping, I'm guessing? Correct. So did the priest guide it back or did he just kind of set it free and let it find its way back?
0: No, no, no. So the priest did guide it and according to the lore, they traveled only at night and the priest was holding a lantern and ringing a bell to warn people, to warn anyone else who might be out on the road <laughs> because it was bad luck to see this corpse hopping on its way home. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah that's... That's pretty trippy. So where does the vampirism part of it come in? Yeah, according to the lore, some Jiangxi just go rogue, like escape the priest's control. But they still have to hop, arms outstretched, coming to steal your life force or key.
1: I'm thinking that maybe if you can tear the paper off the vampire's head that it dies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're correct. That is one method.
1: Yeah, very much like stopping the goal. Mm, Yep. Rubbing the word of power off its forehead, making it go dormant turn back to clay yep. pretty cool
0: so hopping vampires apparently can't stand mirrors either and of course the classic remedy the hooves of a black donkey will take it out donkey kick <laughs> yeah black donkey hooves will take anybody out real fast reminds you of your favorite goat black philip from the bovitch oh yeah i
1: mean as far as goats go he's pretty rad yes he he's all about living deliciously
0: Yes, he is. Who isn't? So let's get back into Eastern Europe and Romania, to be precise, for one of the earliest tales of vampires, or strigoi, which translates to one who rises from the grave. Strigoi, isn't that one of your Witcher monsters? Oh, <laughs> Maxie, Maxi, don't get me started on the Witcher, son. And in that world is called a striga. So close. Now quit trying to sidetrack me by talking about <laughs> the best video game ever made, because you know I can go on forever about that game. Please don't. Okay, gang, so this went down to the 17th century and involved a guy named Juri Grando Elilovich. So the lore goes that this guy returned to his village 17 years after his death to feast on the inhabitants.
1: Damn, 17 years is quite a while. Reminds me of some of those zombie stories that we read about a couple weeks back.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, poor Clavius Narcis.
1: yeah. You lived to be 17. You were
0: practically middle-aged back then. So Yuri, or Jury, I think it's pronounced Yuri, would knock on doors in the middle of the night and kill the person who answered the door. Just straight up murder them entirely and feed on them. Toss a coin to get yourself a witcher, gang. Yeah, yeah, Uh uh-huh, for real. So in lieu of a witcher, the village forms a posse led by the local priest and they go dig up Yuri and they decapitate him. And when they do this, his head lets out this shriek. And blood just fountains up from the wound. And keep in mind, this guy died 17 years ago.
1: Eastern European myth is so awesome. I agree, man. No other word for it. Just chock full of all sorts of monsters and unquiet spirits.
0: Gotta love it. We love it, man. We both do. Gang, check out our Slavic Legends episode for more mythology from that part of the world. Definitely. And speaking of Eastern Europe, and
1: this is also kind of cool, Pozo Serbia, hopefully I'm saying that right, Mm -hmm. in 2007... (laughs) Some vampire hunters broke into the tomb of the war criminal and former president of Yugoslavia and Serbia, Slobodan Milosevic, and drove a three-foot-long stake through his heart and into the ground, pinning him there.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's kind of awesome.
1: And they did this to keep him from returning and haunting the country, of course.
0: You know, he ain't coming back. Hopefully. Yeah, I know, right? I love that there
1: are still vampire hunters in Serbia, you know? one of the safest countries in the world
0: hunting vampires never goes out of style maxi it's like being a bounty hunter but way sexier and probably less dangerous or super dangerous i guess if you ever run into one one or the other y'all okay so going back to my story about yuri alilovich he was hardly the only story to come out of the region in that era
1: another vampire rose from the grave in eastern europe
0: yeah yeah so 50 years later peter blagojevich A Serbian peasant, he dug his way up from his grave to eventually kill nine of his former neighbors. Damn. I know, and uh, these villages probably didn't have huge populations to begin with, so like nine people, man. So the government intervened and then sent an official with the local priest.
1: The government official was probably
0: a vampire hunter. You would hope so, man. Van,
1: Van Helsing's like great-great-grandson. Yeah,
0: Van Hexing. <laughs> so they dug old Peter up, and the signs were there, y'all. No decomposition, blood around the mouth. So they staked him and burned his body, and the attacks ended.
1: That'll do it. Was that the last record of attacks in that region during that time period?
0: No way, man. There are so many, but this is the last one that we'll get into. Arnold Paoli, who was a Serbian soldier, came back after he died and attacked and killed four people. Now, the thing was, he claimed he was attacked by a vampire before he mysteriously died and then rose from the grave. So did they dig him up and stake him? They did, and as they staked him, he apparently just screamed and grabbed the stake before he stopped moving. Then, of course, they cut off his head and burned his corpse. As you do, they did the same to his four victims, and that ended the vampiric attacks in the region. So this was a pattern, and a pretty well-documented pattern. It became such a thing that Pope Benedict XIV issued a decree in Divanitate Vampirorium in 1752, which condemned the desecration of corpses and stated that vampires didn't, in fact, exist. He was like, listen, y'all, this whole digging up graves and burning corpses thing, just getting out of hand.
1: (laughs) I'm sure a decree from the Pope stopped all the attacks, am I right?
0: (laughs) Not really, amigo. I'm liking these European legends a lot, y'all. Well, listen, let's just stick around the area for a wee bit longer with another story, shall we? Yes, please. Some legends claim only a holy man's faith could defeat a vampire. Yet sometimes, an indomitable will and mortal strength were sufficient, as this tale from the Ukraine shows. The man was a Cossack and a soldier, who was returning to his regiment. He walked through forest and field for days on end. The way was cold and lonely. Sometimes the lone farmer waved and offered him a barn to sleep in and a meal for the night, yet that kindness was in short supply. The villages were spread far apart, and fear made the folk of the area hostile to strangers. They viewed the soldier with suspicion and made the holy sign at his approach. One night, as he walked steadfastly on, he was heartened to see the glow of a small fire on the roadside. The thought of company cheered him, and he walked faster towards the warm glow. There, a man clad in rags sat in front of the dancing flames. The soldier nodded to himself at the man's choice of location for his fire, right outside of an old cemetery. The man was obviously no coward. Hail, brother, the soldier called cheerfully. The stranger glared at him from behind the flames. I call no man brother, he stated. His tone was dead and flat. He resumed staring at the fire. The soldier, no coward himself, sat in front of the flames and began warming his hands. Without warning, the stranger stood up and kicked dirt on the fire, extinguishing it. He then began walking down the road. Smiling, the soldier began walking with him. I have to go this way anyway. I'll walk with you. Where do you go so late? The stranger shrugged. I go to find amusement. Soon, the lights of a small village twinkled in the distance. The pair walked faster toward the lights and came upon a merry little house. The door standing open and welcome. It was a village wedding. A small fire blazed in the small house and every table was laden with food. The bride and groom greeted the strangers kindly and offered them food and drink. Then the group began singing wedding songs. The soldier, after days on the road enjoyed himself, he ate and drank and sang with the wedding group. He barely noticed his companion, who seemed to stay on the periphery, slinking in shadows and saying nothing, drinking and eating nothing. Then at the stroke of midnight, the stranger knelt in front of the bride, her eyes shining. He knelt before her as a knight to his queen, and she placed her hands in front of him, baiting him rise. He buried his face in her hands. The soldier saw the interaction clearly. The ragged stranger in front of the blushing bride. Then the picture broke. The stranger, his own face blushing and rosy now, stood up and exited the house. The bride swooned and fainted, at once surrounded by friends and family. The soldier left immediately following the stranger. He caught up to him easily. I know what you are, he said as he grabbed the stranger's arm. A rank stench hit the soldier as he held onto the man's arm. Blood bubbled at the stranger's lips. Leave me, mortal, he hissed, and he jerked his arm away, lest you be my next meal. The soldier laughed and punched the stranger once, twice, three times in the face and neck. The stranger staggered and began running with the soldier hot on his heels. The stranger turned around at the entrance of the graveyard where he built his fire and faced the Cossack. "'We burn vampires where I come from,' he said lightly, advancing upon the creature, who only laughed. "'The spirit that lives in me can escape any fire and live in other bodies for,' he spat before he wrapped his arm around the soldier. The soldier kicked the creature away and punched it again and again before the pair fell to the ground, punching, clawing, kicking. In this way they fought among the ancient graves there. Hours passed and the soldier, young and fearless and strong, felt his strength waning.' the beast smiled a red smile, filled with sharp teeth. Cockcrow saved the soldier then. At the sound, the vampire's eyes widened and he shoved the soldier away before he bolted to an open grave which he slid into. The soldier made his way wearily to the small village, bleeding from his fight with the vampire. He rounded the villagers up and spoke of what he had seen. Soon he and some men from the village gathered around the grave, some carrying pitchforks and axes and each carrying an armful of birch and ash to burn. They dug the grave up and lifted the old coffin from the earth. They opened it, for the lid was busted, and inside lay the stranger, his nose broken and jaw hanging askew from his battle with the Cossack. The eyes gleamed maliciously, yet the creature did not move, and no sound issued from the blood-soaked lips. The men quickly built a funeral pyre in the graveyard and threw the stranger's body onto it, They prayed, cursed the creature, and added wood when the fire grew small. The stranger's body at first was oddly resistant to the flames, but soon began to blacken and blister. And then only a blackened skeleton remained among the flames, and even that began to crumble. At once a howl rose from the fire and seemed to float above the flames. Then, however, other sounds came from the fire. The this of small feet and rustling of small wings began to emerge. And lizards, rats, snakes, and scorpions began to crawl out of the pyre, while carrion birds began to flap wings and emerge from the flames as well. Kill them all, shouted the soldier. And the villagers did, smashing the beasts with shovels and stomping feet, cutting them from the sky with scythes and axes and nets, and they would throw the squirming bodies back into the fire. The killing went on for hours, but soon it was at an end, the villagers and soldiers breathing heavily from their effort as the sun hung heavy in the sky. They scattered the vampire's ashes to the four winds, and the soldier was celebrated in the small village where he stayed until his wounds healed before he was on his way to rejoin his brothers in arms. The village, its name lost to time, never again suffered at the hands of vampires and for that they were fortunate, for the undead had time on their side. And long was the night in the old world.
1: They sure don't make them like that anymore. The, uh, Cossack soldier, you mean? Yeah, dude was just strolling through Ukraine on his way to rejoin the army. <laughs> Runs into a vampire and pop, pop, pop. Hey, all of a day's work.
0: Yep, dude was for real. He just straight up punched the vampire in the face, gave him the three-piece special with a (laughs) side of fries, bang, 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 you know, wasn't even afraid.
1: (laughs) He was secretly like a paladin or a high-level cleric who was Mm -hmm. casting Turn Undead the entire time. (laughs) That's
0: the only explanation. Clearly, dude, like you said, only explanation. So, gang, shifting gears, like, okay, like what's your favorite vampire flick? There are so many to choose from. Some are classic some suck let's be (laughs) real (laughs) it's a
1: good question so this is not my favorite Mm -hmm. I'll get to my favorite in a second but I just want to say I just finished watching Midnight Mass on Netflix
0: Midnight Mass and it's really good I've seen it but I have not seen it if you know what I mean Yeah. Nice. it's
1: like seven episodes it's
0: really well done though nice you know gang and I'm going to have to check that out Maxie I know some of y'all in the hinterlands will agree with me, but my favorite, Lost Boys.
1: Now, Lost Boys, that's another classic. I was going to say, actually, I do want to say my favorite is Let the Right One In. Swedish movie, awesome.
0: Oh, dude, that's, yeah, kid vampires. Kid vampires scare the hell out of me. (laughs) But yeah, anyways, yeah. You know, Lost Boys, man, it's a perfect combination of being scary, suspenseful, funny, in fact, don't do it right. Uh, please. <laughs> too late. <laughs> the plague is like a hundred years old. Well, like forty years. So old. is your mom, but we're gonna do it anyway, <laughs> gang. What do we hate about Santa Carla, California, Maxi? You want to help me out? It's nice, except for all the damn vampires. Right on. So for all three people out there in the hinterlands who haven't seen this '80s gem, Keeper Sutherland, Jamie Gertz. Alex Winters of Bill & Ted fame. Also, Jason Patrick and the Coreys, Haim and Feldman. Which, if you weren't an 80s kid, y'all, you just don't know how big those guys were. They were huge, but get to the story, Rock. <laughs> Quit rushing me, man. All right, so the gist is this, y'all. A divorced mom and her two sons move from Arizona to California for a fresh start. And so they move in with her cantankerous dad only to encounter a group of teenage vampires who run the local scene. And hijinks ensues from there on out. Great soundtrack and some great lines from that movie. True classic. Check it out.
1: You're right, though. That soundtrack is one of the best.
0: Totally. All right.
1: For real. I think a vampire flick set in the time of the Eastern European stories that we've been talking about.
0: Oh, yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah, it's called Vampire Hunter D.
1: What? I'm just joking. That's
0: 5,000 years in the future. Okay. All right.
1: Now all you folks out in the hinterlands can rest easy knowing what's up with Lost Boys. (laughs) But in all seriousness,
0: great flick, great soundtrack, which is being remade from what I hear. That's true. Yet another classic vampire flick being remade. Get some original ideas, Hollywood. Damn. For real. All right, Maxie, what else you got for us? Well,
1: you've touched on the ancients. Let's get into something a bit more modern, shall we say. Oh, hell. You're going to dive into some modern-day sightings? Yes, sir. I'm diving straight into a story that mixes modern-day sightings in Eastern Europe.
0: Bring it on, amigo. Stick into Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. We love that mythological place.
1: (laughs) Romanians believe that vampires exist. We call them strigoi, the ones who scream. That's the translation of the word. Strigoi are evil spirits that come out at night to torment people by calling out their names. Strigoi are thirsty for blood, just like vampires. They can come in a human or animal form. Strigoi are completely free on St. Andrew's night, the 30th of November to be exact. Our type of Halloween. My great-grandmother told my mom that she heard a Strigoi calling out her name. She said it was very important to remain silent, otherwise bad things would happen. They have the power to cause health issues to the people who respond to their calling. When my mom was a child, the whole community, along with the priest, went to the cemetery to kill a vampire, a man from the village who had died. He was a sinner, or so everyone said. His family started to experience weird stuff. They would hear him calling out their names, and soon all the members of the family fell ill. That's how they decided that their relative was a strigoy. My mother remembers that they used a wooden stake to kill that creature, and my great-grandmother was there too. She said that the man looked like he was sleeping, even though it had been six months since he was deceased. From Redditor All
0: Alright, y'all. Seems to me that the same old stuff is happening in Romania, even in the present day. Legends die hard in the old country, people. This person's mom and grandma witnessed this stuff firsthand. That's pretty solid and creepy as hell.
1: Our listeners will recall our Spirits of Christmas episode. Love that episode. That on November 30, St. Andrew's Day, all bets are off in terms of vampiric activity. Mm -hmm. It skyrockets after that day.
0: That's right, Maxie. And according to the lore gang on St. Andrew's Day or Night, Wolves can talk, prophecy is more easily foretold, and the creatures of the night. Vampires in particular prowl the darkness in far greater numbers than normal.
1: Y'all, just stay inside on St. Andrew's night. Maybe order a pizza. Be safe. Don't invite the pizza man in though. Mm -hmm. Play some cold iron, witch herbs on your windows, you know, for safety's sake.
0: That's right gang, just light the fireplace up, have a whiskey and stay the hell indoors. So let's take our leave of Eastern Europe for just a second and head stateside. You know, if I think of modern day vampires in America, I immediately think of Nolians, (laughs) New Orleans,
1: Nolians. We can thank Anne Rice for that, I think. Mm -hmm. I used to love her Lestat books. I remember I was so pissed when they cast Tom Cruise as Lestat.
0: Dude, I recall the uproar when Interview of the Vampire came out, and I hadn't read the book, so I thought Tom Cruise was fine in the role. But, you know, what's up with Louisiana, the Anne Rice books and the Sookie Stackhouse novels and True Blood all set in the Bayou State? Good question. Mm, mm, mm. Love that gumbo.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Our next door state neighbor has some amazing lore, though. It's all that French. They do. Yeah. I mean, so many different cultures has created that. The Rougarou, the vampires.
0: Oh, love it.
1: Voodoo. It's very cool stuff.
0: For sure, man. I love the lore coming out of that state, man.
1: And going back to Anne Rice... I think I mean, I could be wrong,
0: we could definitely be wrong,
1: listeners, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she was one of the first authors, if not the first, to portray vampires not as just simple predatory bestial monsters, I get you yeah, but as kind of attractive, powerful individuals, sometimes with morals of different levels,
0: yeah, she's the one that you know like explored that the most, you know, with like Louis being all upset all the time about what he was yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's like you know they're still predators but they can control themselves for the most part you know
1: true and some of her vampires attempt to hang on like you said louis Mm -hmm. to some aspects of their humanity you know instead of just giving into the bloodlust whenever it hits them true
0: true anyway i love those books yeah man i was working at a bookstore when those were big i mean just so massively popular man like it's crazy all right so getting back to new orleans let's just go get some of that food amigo For sure.
1: Okay, when we go, but check this out. (laughs) I came across a cool story that actually involves two legendary vampire brothers in New Orleans in the 1930s. Vampire brothers? Yeah. So the legend goes that two brothers, Wayne and John Carter... Not to be confused with the John Carter from the movie. Yeah, not the warlord of
0: Mars, everybody. Don't get exactly. hit. Don't roll this up. Is
1: diff- this is a different guy.
0: He wasn't no vampire. He was a hero, everybody. Okay, even <laughs> though you didn't see his movie. Go see it, okay? <laughs> all
1: right. But they had a place, an apartment on the corner of Royal Street and St. Anne. And according to all accounts, these guys were just normal. Nothing odd about them.
0: Such a nice boy. Yeah. That's, dude, that's the worst. When the neighbors were like, oh, they were so normal and nice. Yeah, you know something bad's coming, man. For sure. Never trust a nice guy. All right.
1: Exactly. They're the <laughs> worst. So one day, this young woman basically escapes from their apartment, runs for help, and both of her wrists are bleeding. She finds some cops and tells them her story, and the police, they go to investigate the apartment. Oh, hell. And in the apartment, they find several more people tied to chairs with their wrists lit as well, Mm-hmm. And also dozens of dead bodies... What? ...completely drained of their blood were in the apartment. Man, like, how the hell do you hide that? So the brothers returned to their place, and the cops attempt to restrain them, and according to the lore, it took nine cops to hold these boys down. Damn. So the brothers, of course, were executed for their crimes eventually and laid to rest in a tomb.
0: Okay, I think i see where this is going but don't tell me
1: (laughs) yeah for sure the tomb was later opened and yeah you guessed it Mm -hmm. neither brother was there they completely vanished Trixie vampire bros
0: they just apparently turned
1: to mist after they were entombed and slipped under the cracks in the tomb door
0: as you do. Were those, uh, you know, rather, where the hell are those vampire hunters when we need them? You know. Apparently, they're all in Serbia. <laughs> hey, uh, like shifting gears, man. But did you ever play Vampire: The Masquerade back in the day? The role-playing game? Yeah, I man. Those were pretty big, as I recall. Hell, they still might be. But we were playing D and D back then, and you know, the vampire RPG stuff was always right next to the D and D books.
1: No, I never played. I. I love the look of the books, though, and I was always interested in it. But like,
0: no, seriously,
1: like you said, that you and the other people I knew that played mm-hmm. games, were, it was all D and D, which was fine. But yeah, I never got a chance to play it. I think it was called like World of Darkness or something. The setting,
0: I believe so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure like White Wolf Publishing. I think that's what it was. Sounds right. I never played, man, but I was always intrigued. I think there were like clans involved. I think you know there was a werewolf game as well.
1: Same here. Yeah. So. Instead of playing vampires in that setting, I just played a vampire in our d game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a gnome vampire, uh, yeah. party people, the worst kind. Man, you don't expect a gnome to be a vampire. You never expect a gnome vampire. You expect them to have pointy red hats and ride foxes. All right, y'all, let's stop talking about gnomes and get back <laughs> to vampires. All right. So you talked about let the right one in earlier. Yeah. And that's another thing, one of the rules that vampires must abide by, the whole having to be invited in thing. Any thoughts on that? From what I ran across,
1: it has something to do with the sacred threshold of homes that vampires can't cross. Maybe Hestia guards the... Uh,
0: Ah, nice, nice. (laughs) It's like this magical barrier, I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, just so. And according to the lore, the more harmonious or happy a home is, the stronger the threshold actually is. And apparently- Makes sense. The longer a family has lived in the home also figures into it. So if you've been there generations,
0: yeah. So interesting. And you know, this whole invitation thing kind of bleeds over into the Black Eyed Kids legend.
1: True. They're always asking to be let in.
0: Yep. Dude, there's definitely some vampiric aspects to the BEK legends. So check out our episode on Black Eyed Kids for our take on those little monsters. All right, Maxi, should we get into another modern-day story before we sign off? Uno más. Sí, por favor. (laughs) This was in 2011, and we were political activists. We camped in a downtown square for about four months. Throughout this period, a lot of people came in and out, and by the second month, I had to travel to another city where my parents were living for a week. When I came back to the occupation, there was a guy living there that arrived exactly when I left. He somehow already had some respect from the other people in a very short period of time. He was tall, blonde, long hair, bit of a hippie, had a profound voice that implied such self-confidence. He had, by some means, a strange aura, but okay, no big deal. Seemed like a cool guy after a while. With time, he became my friend, and we ended up having long conversations about pretty much everything that interested me, and vice versa, like occultism, magic, UFOs, etc., until he brought up the vampirism subject, which I was not familiar with at the time, and he explained to me some stuff like that vampires were actually normal people that could manage their own life force, and apparently they have been misinterpreted since forever. And he told me that there are some secret vampire groups, small ones, that preserve the rituals. There was no blood sucking thing going on. As he said, that blood was an analogy to life force. They were not actually sucking it from people. But they could indeed suck somebody's life force. The conversations finished there. The whole thing seemed interesting to me. And after a while, we just went to sleep. Some days later, here's what happened. My house was quite close to the occupation, and once in a while some of my friends would ask me to use my bathroom to have a shower, and then this guy asked me the same. I said yes, no problem at all. Everything went fine, the guy had a shower, and when we were walking back to the occupation, he brought up the subject about vampirism again. This time he was wearing an anonymous plastic mask, which covered his face. He starts to explain to me how one can control his own life force, as he said before, inside his dreams, and how that could affect the actual material body. Meanwhile, as he is explaining this to me, I saw his jaw making a strange movement, as if there was something stuck between his teeth and he was trying to clean it. He calls me and he raises the mask slightly so that I can take a look at his mouth. And there I saw this huge canine tooth. He pulls down the mask. I didn't know how to react. So I just remained calm and asked him what that was for, if they didn't actually suck the blood from people. And he told me it worked out as a sort of antenna to capture different vibrations. And he managed to construct it by molding his life force into that shape inside his dreams. And he asked me if I would be interested to do the same. I told him that it sounded interesting and... He just let me think about it. We arrived at the occupation as if nothing had happened. I didn't see any strange movements by his hands trying to insert a fake tooth in his mouth or trying to remove it after. The sensation I got was that he pulled the tooth out by a jaw movement. The whole thing was just very strange and hard to digest. I didn't know what to do, so I called my friend and he just said that the whole story sounded too crazy to be believed. We still lived together in the occupation for a while, but I never brought up the vampirism subject again. The guy totally noticed my attempt to avoid it, so he didn't push it either. There was another strange fact after a while. Once he was shirtless and crouched organizing some stuff inside his tent, and the muscles on his back formed the shape of a winged dragon. Another girl saw it and freaked out. From MysteriousUniverse.org. Okay, man. So that that's probably the friendliest vampire ever, y'all. Kind of a hippie, probably into incense and meditation, hot yoga. <laughs> maybe hitting up some vortexes in Sedona, getting a drum circle together whilst raising his chakra network before psychically <laughs> feasting on other socially conscious folks. Am I right? That's a nice vampire.
1: Could be. And most importantly, this vampire seemed to be all about consent, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. He asked, and he's all about toppling governments as well. Exactly. That's that's cool.
1: Power to the people. (laughs) But what's up with that giant canine tooth and the dragon muscles on his back?
0: That's creepy. I mean, maybe it was a tattoo or something. Hmm. Just... And the winged dragon muscles on the back were obviously where his wings sprouted from, Maxie. How's he going to get from city to city if he ain't flying, player? He's not taking the train. He's a vampire. He's too cool for that.
1: So this guy just rearranged something in his mouth to form a giant tooth, just like a single tusk.
0: He's like a vampire narwhal. (laughs) The dreaded unicorns of the ocean or or the (laughs) Occupy campments. Exactly. Those things got a vicious streak a mile wide, just skewering whatever gets in their way. (laughs) Well, you got to do what you got to do when you're a magical creature, right? You ain't lying. You ain't lying. Gang, with that last bit of lore, we are done. Thanks for hanging out with Max and I, and dare we say, happy Halloween, because you know we appreciate it.
1: Rock speaks true, gang. And make sure to join us on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And please consider supporting the show by heading on over to Patreon, where new content awaits. Mm -hmm. We have a link in the episode description.
0: Yup, yup, yup. Or cruise on over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast. To support your boys, it means a ton, gang. And like we say, we love coffee. Also, please share the show, gang. And grant us that boon of the sacred and oh-so-important five-star review.
1: And don't forget, the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy, is responsible for all the production in our pod. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Find and follow her at Viobright on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Finally, guys, head on over to her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com for more amazing music, as well as heading over to our own damn website at NightmaresPodcast.net. You know we'd love to hear from you. Just scroll on down, check out the wolves, and holler at you boys. So, ladies and gents, as we said before, happy Halloween and Sweet sweet dreams.